Hello, this is Hadib Awan from Ifani Secure Mobile Service, and I'm with Kerry on Firewalls Don't Stop Travis podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker. Today is episode 261 for February 28th, 2022. We've got a really interesting interview for you today. I talked with a gentleman uh, from a company called Ifani, and their business is cell phone security. Uh, I'll have a little bit more to say about that as we lead into the interview. Now, a couple quick notes before we start. One, some good news, and one, some definitely bad news. (laughs) So... First of all, Start Page, who uh, we had uh, Kelly Finnerty on the show uh, a little while back. They have interviewed me. Uh, now, this was just a blog interview, so they sent me some questions and I responded in text. But they wanted me to also send them a couple of video clips of my responses, uh, which is something they had not done before. So, anyway, Start Page has a nice little blog uh, called Privacy in Action, where they interview privacy people. Uh, and I was one of them recently. So there's a link in the show notes. You can find the link to that interview there. If you follow me on social media, you probably already saw me post about this last week. Also, at any point, if you want to see any of the interviews or press coverage of me uh, or my book or whatever, uh, there's a press tab on Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. You can always go there and look at some historical stuff that's been there too. I haven't been interviewed a lot, but there are a few of them out there. So anyway, if you're interested, you can find them there. Now, obviously the bad news this week was the bald-faced naked aggression by Russia and invading Ukraine. Uh, I don't think that's a political thing to say, or at least it shouldn't be. Uh, You know, when one nation, you know, invades another sovereign nation against their will. But, you know, I'm not going to say too much more about it politically than that. And obviously, regardless of maybe where you come down to politics, you've got to feel for all the people there in Ukraine and all their loved ones, wherever they may be around the globe. We worry about you, and I at least support you. So uh, I hope this comes to a peaceful end soon. But for the rest of us uh, around the globe, you know, kind of looking on in horror and, you know, watching the news all the time and doom scrolling through our social media, there are some things that we need to be thinking about. And because the globe has united to impose some pretty severe sanctions on Russia and Putin in particular and his, um, his allies, it's quite possible, not necessarily likely, but it's certainly possible that Putin may decide to respond with retaliatory cyber attacks. So uh, what does that mean? Uh, I wrote a blog article about this. I kind of sent it out off cycle. I usually send my blogs out every Sunday, uh, you know, via the newsletter uh, and post on my website every other Sunday. But given the potential urgency of what was going on, I decided to send it out right away. So if you go to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, I've got a little article there. But basically what I'm saying is now would be a good time to batten down the hatches a little bit, tighten things up a little bit. Don't panic. Absolutely don't panic. Um, I'm not telling you to go out and make a run on the store and clear the shelves of bread and soup and whatever. But, you know, they're, you know, like hurricane season approaching, you might just want to be a little more careful than usual. You might want to top off, you know, your cars with gas sooner rather than later. Uh, You know, think Colonial Pipeline. I'm not saying that's going to happen again, but that's the kind of thing that could happen. You know, there might be a disruption in, in gas flow or flow of goods and services, you know, I don't know. Again, don't panic, just be prepared. But I also want to give two particular bits of advice. First of all, this is a key time on social media for the spread of disinformation and misinformation. Uh, Do not be a part of that. You know, before you forward anything, make sure that you've checked the sources, make sure you've checked the facts. I've got some really nice links in in my uh, blog article uh, for places you can go to do just that. Honestly, before you even let yourself feel emotion, I mean, these things are meant to trigger you. They're meant to make you angry or, or scared. And, you know, so practice a little bit of mindfulness here, you know, you know, as you feel those emotions rise in you based on something you see or hear, take a moment to, to check that and, and make sure you understand where that's coming from and why that might be and make sure that you verify things before you let it get to you. You know, there are bots out there certainly do, that do these sorts of things. If you watch The Social Dilemma, which I highly recommend you do. You'll you'll understand the mechanics of how this can work, you know, and that does account for some of this misinformation. But honestly, what they really try to do is seed this information out to real people and get the real people out there to get you know incensed and and, and spread it for them. That's where most of this comes from. So just refuse to be a part of that. All right, and tip number two, and this is going specifically out to people who might work, you know, maybe in the financial industry, transportation, utilities energy, food processing, medical, military, you know, some of those kind of industries that would have 
severe impacts on your fellow man or something to go wrong, you as an employee need to kind of step up your skepticism and your carefulness uh, in, you know, in the coming weeks and perhaps months. The way that you know your industry might be attacked is probably just through regular people that happen to work there. They're trying to find weak links, right? They're going to try to find people that they can social engineer, uh, that term meaning using real humans to target other real humans to get them to be scared or get them to be empathetic. You know, hey, gosh, I, I just lost my wallet. I really need to get access to the account. I can't find my password. Would you please give me, you know, just this once, would you, would you let me, you know, have access to this account? Or, you know, maybe they take over, you know, a mid-level manager's email account and then send out emails to, you know, everybody in their contact list saying, you know, hey, you know, check out this document real quick. There's important policy changes in here that everybody needs to read. Please open this document. Uh, oh, and what it says, enable macros, please enable macros. <laughs> you know, and it doesn't matter who it's from. Don't trust anything. If you get a weird attachment out of nowhere that you're not expecting on an email or you get a text link or something, just think that extra time about, hey, is that is that real? You know, maybe I should be careful here. And if you find something suspicious, if you have an IT department, if you have a, particularly if you have a security department, some sort of an incident response team, you know, just check it by them. Make sure that, hey, is this is this legit? So anyway, now is the time to be a little more cautious than normal. If you've got security training in your company or security documents and policies, now would be a great time to kind of refresh your mind uh, on what those are. And, you know, I'm sure they've got tips and uh, things that you should be doing uh, on a daily basis that you probably forgot about when you took that training three years ago or whatever. You know, so now would be a good time just to kind of batten down the hatches, you know, put the shields up, as we say in Star Trek land, just be careful. I'm not saying panic. I absolutely am not saying panic. Don't freak out. Just, you know, be prepared. This is a Boy Scout kind of a thing. Anyway, if you want some more advice along those lines, check out my latest blog post. Uh, if you are a newsletter subscriber, you would have already received this in your email. So maybe a reason for you to subscribe. All right. Now on to today's interview, we are going to be speaking with a gentleman called Haseeb Awan, and he is from a company called Ifani. He is the CEO and they do cell phone security. And when I say cell phone security, I mean like kick butt, real important people kind of stuff. And because of that, because they, you know, their clientele is basically VIPs, people with a lot to lose in some way, shape or form, you know, either reputation or money or both. The advice you're going to hear today, the stories you're going to hear today are, you know, they're going to be skewed that way. So take all of this with a little bit of a grain of salt, you know, realize that a lot of the things that this person has dealt with and the clientele that he has and the situations he is trying to prevent don't really apply to you know, most regular everyday people. That said, there is some interesting information here to glean from this interview for everybody and some just good general advice. So uh, anyway, uh, we talk about a few things here. Uh, we mentioned a few acronyms and things that I, you know, as usual, want to kind of give you a quick glossary before we get in there. We throw out 2FA, uh, that is for two-factor authentication. You know, that's when you, somebody texts you a PIN code you have to enter or you bring up your authentication app with a PIN code you have to enter. That's two-factor authentication. We talk, of course, about SIMs, subscriber identity modules. Uh, those are those little tiny cards that go into your cell phone uh, that basically tell the phone who you are and associate that phone with your account. Uh, modern phones like uh, iPhones often have what's called an eSIM, electronic SIM, which you know foregoes the need for actually inserting or removing a, a physical card and just kind of you know, has a special spot on the phone that programs your identity into it when it happens and can change it on the fly if necessary. But all it comes down to is these things identify your phone to the network and uh, your account. He also mentions an MVNO, which his company runs, by the way. Uh, that's a mobile virtual network operator. And basically what those are are people that kind of lease lines and cell tower facilities from, you know, names you've heard of, you know, Orange, AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, all those kind of companies to kind of run their own company using those facilities and resources to do so. Uh, so I think like Mint Mobile and some of those other kind of off-brands tend to be MVNOs. Uh, if not, companies like them certainly are. And he is running his own cell phone network because that way he can control the security of that network a lot better. So that would, that's what an MVNO is. And then finally, he briefly mentions SEO. Uh, that's search engine optimization. That is kind of a general term for marketing tools and tricks that try to get you to show up higher in search results. 
you know, originally that was kind of a Google thing where you want somebody Googles your stuff and you want your result to come up in the top 10 or, you know, if you're really lucky in the top one or two. And you might do things on your website, you know, add certain terms. There are all sorts of games you can play. People try to game the Google search algorithm constantly, uh, and which is also changing. It's a cat and mouse kind of a game. But this also comes up when people are searching for apps in the App Store and other places where you might search, trying to, you know, find ways to get your app to be, you know, up above your competition. One other term I'm going to throw out, we don't really mention it directly in this show, but I thought you might be interested to know. A lot of the things we are mentioning today are fall under the category of what we call open source intelligence or OSINT, O-S-I-N-T. And that is, you know, generally beyond the scope of, of this podcast, but we actually talk about a lot of things around that category a lot. We just don't call it by that name. Uh, but we mentioned it enough here and I've, I've been kind of looking into it myself personally. So I, I thought it might be an interesting term to throw out in case you ever run across it. And that's what we're talking about. And then finally, uh, I know I, I speak fast. I know I've gotten that comment from many different places that I know that I do. Uh, as much as I try to <laughs> slow myself down, I know when I get rolling, I can really speak quickly. Well, I think Haseeb might actually give me a run for my money. So, <laughs> you know, be prepared potentially to hit the back button a couple times if uh, he and I get going and, and <laughs> you might have to go back and re-listen to something because we both speak pretty quickly. And I think we kind of fed on each other a little bit here. So anyway, we've got a lot to talk about here today, and I don't want to run long if I don't have to. So let's get into the interview with Haseeb Awan. Haseeb Awan built one of the first and largest Bitcoin ATMs called BitAccess, which has over 8,000 locations in 15 countries. He's also the CEO of Fani Secure Mobile, America's most secure and private cell phone service, which protects people against SIM swaps, eavesdropping, and location tracking. Welcome to the show, Haseeb. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Katie, for having me on the show. So this is going to be really interesting. I've talked about uh, cell phone security kind of in context with just general security, but uh, this is great that we actually get a chance to really focus on it. So uh, I've got a lot of questions for you. I'm sure our audience will appreciate the deep dive. So let's let's start the, with the basics. Our you know our cell phones are basically personal supercomputers that are connected to the internet all the time. We carry it with us 24 seven. You know I don't think even George Orwell would have envisioned that we would carry our telescreens with us willingly 24 seven. You know, what information can be gleaned about us by our cell phone providers, our cellular providers, like in the U.S., that would be like AT&T and Verizon, uh, or the cell phone makers themselves, perhaps, Apple, Google, Samsung? Okay, thanks for having me. And I'm a big fan of George Orwell's works and his novel from 1984, where he talks about big boys and big brothers and, yeah. and like, you know, talking about, like, you know, how cell phones will basically become part of our life and people will not even realize how it engraved into our lives. I think um, uh, it's actually true. Like right now, hypothetically, if something goes wrong and we have to run, the only thing we'll pick up is our cell phones. Yeah. Uh, not a key, not a wallet, just a cell phone. So I think that cell phone is not, is part of our life. Like it's part of our organs, right? Like, you know, when you are missing something in your body, you yeah. realize that, okay, you know, and I think um, if people have a choice between <laughs> losing, I don't know, maybe like a finger versus a cell phone, they would probably lose a finger, <laughs> you right. know? So that's how it gets rid of it's part of our life. Like we go to bed, we go, we go to washroom, we take it. It's basically with everyone. So it's just extension of our body right now. So obviously when it becomes extension, it's nothing natural. It's something that someone has produced. And when people produce things, they do it for profit. Uh, so uh, absolutely. I think uh, uh, anyone who produces a cell phone or operating system has more control over you than anything else in the world right now. So they can feel with any information, right? They can do anything. Like think about like, you know, if your cell phone drops, you feel like empty. Someone can make you feel that, right? Like that's about it. So, so yeah, every every cell phone provider have a lot of control, not just from us. Like see what Apple did to uh, Facebook. The pretty much the company went down by like 10, 20%, I believe, just right. based on because just Apple decided to do something. Right. So like when I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about the, the cell phone providers themselves, like for instance, I know that AT&T and Verizon or any cell phone provider, but by virtue of them having to provide me cell phone service can pinpoint my location. They know where I am pretty roughly within a cell tower range yeah. at any given yeah. moment at all the time. So that is 
that is one thing that they could that they could easily give up, uh, either maybe under warrant or s- perhaps even just sell this, which I've, I've some have been caught doing this. So, yeah. but I, I'm just curious from your perspective, like could give us like a little bit of a what else are we not thinking about? What else would what would our cell phone providers be able to cough up about us if they wanted to sell it or if they were served a warrant? Uh, so warrant is obviously a, a totally different story, right? In that case, any company has to abide by the law of the rule. Uh, what works is that when the data ends up in third parties, which use it for doing things that are basically illegal. Uh, I'll give you a simple example. Sometimes you notice you change a carrier. So you move from one carrier to another carrier and, and your spam calls increase or your, mm. uh, your spoof calls increase because the data is being sold. And how hmm. it's being sold is that it's a very, very, very efficient industry. Like there's not a lot of margins for the companies to make money on this. So they make money by selling you cheap service, but then you become the product. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, Kerry says, okay, you know, I will tell you, I'll send a spec. So this data being sold, uh, is sold. They may sell it to one party who then resell it to hundreds of, hundred of people. So that's basically what they do. Now, obviously location tracking is, you are asking about like location tracking is pretty accurate. Very, very, very accurate. Mm. And the worst part is, this is very, very worse, that you can actually go online by services which can actually track your location by paying small amount of money. Mm. Um, like I think it's a cost of like $100 per, per location checkup. So you can literally find anyone's location just through an online software. And it, I'm just curious, anybody could do this or do you have to like provide some credentials like I'm a private eye or law enforcement or literally anybody could do this? Definitions are pretty loose. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it this way. Mm, okay. So what about uh, the, the operating system makers like Apple and, you know, for iOS and Google for Android? They, they've tried to give us more control over what kind of information we share with the makers of, like, for instance, the apps that we install. Yeah, they've given us various settings and permissions and things that we can tweak. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, Apple really ticked off companies, you know, Facebook recently or last year by giving, just giving people the option to say, you know what, I don't want to be tracked. But how effective really is that? Uh, are, are those kind of settings at protecting our privacy? And is there maybe more that can or should be done by operating system and device makers to protect our data? So with Apple specifically, right, they're pretty notorious in keeping everything, uh, uh, you know, a closed loop. So you don't need what's going on in the code. So they say, just trust us. Mm-hmm. And we believe that everything will be fine, right? Like they have a lot of CVs, which People don't know it's about like vulnerabilities where you can't even know if the vulnerability exists or not because you there's no way for you to test it. While mm. in the case of Android, like it's pretty be- better because you can modify a lot of software. But frankly, how many people can do that? Like 0.1%, right. maybe less than that. Right. So I think they're doing a good job. Is that they're just taking the power. So they're not doing it for you. They're just doing it for themselves. They just want to show off how much power they have and how can they control the narrative. <laughs> So if you are thinking that Apple is your friend, Apple is not your friend. Google is not your friend. They're just trying to see who can. And actually, I think this will be a, a good strategy for every company in the future. Like think about Apple launch, Facebook launching their own cell phone plan, cell phone uh, hardware. They tried in the past, but hey, I'll give you a hardware for $200 because they believe the CAC, the loss for having a, a loss revenue is much higher. So anyone who controls your operating system is basically in control. And if you go back to cell phone services, your telephone number is your identity. We have been like, you know, very, very careful about our social security number, giving out social security number. But our telephone number is technically more like our social security number now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because now that we can easily port our number from service to service, we keep it for life, basically. Absolutely. And like, you know, if you lose something, if you uh, like, you know, if you lose your CVS or Walmart or anything that happened, they ask you for your telephone number so they can pull up your account. Right. So what is this identity? And identity is basically you. So you can get some telephone number, go on websites and you can find their even social security score, sorry, credit score and social security number and where have they lived. So just by telephone number, you can find enough information of someone to be dangerous. Really? Like, like, with a cell phone number, I can like I guess is maybe going back to the question you or the point you made before, but with a person search, I can get that sort of information as a regular individual. Absolutely, this information is very simple to get. Again, hmm. uh, companies like White Pages or like uh, your like not White Pages, but People Search. If you put telephone number, they'll be able to pull up a lot of record on that. And then the other services which will charge you some money, and based on they give you all the information to run a credit check on someone, so then you can find out how vulnerable a person is. 
And I think there are a couple of softwares which does that where they can actually go deeper and find out if this person is should be hacked or not. To, in order to do a credit search, though, wouldn't I wouldn't I need at least somebody's social security number first? Social security number are sold online. There's a dot word market for us. If you give telephone number, you'll get their social security oh, number. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Not, not, a, not a regular legal way to do this, like whitepages.com or people search, but there are ways you're saying in the dark web to translate somebody's phone number into their social security number, basically. Again, like it's not, like, not in dark web, it's like regular web, right? Uh, it's just that the definitions are pretty loose. Hmm. All right. So if, let me ask the question a different way. If Apple and Google were, were to be our friend if, if they were to do better things what more could they be doing as operating system vendors and apple's actually in both our cases hardware vendors as well they both make devices as well what what could they be doing what what syst settings or options could they be offering us that they're not that would that would improve our privacy the problem with the privacy is and security is too right it's like made in america uh, a lot everyone wants it but no one wants to pay for it so if people say, hey, I want to have your secure cell phone service, which costs $10 more, people may not opt for it. Uh, and that's the beauty of this unfortunate thing. People will give their DNA for getting a new iPhone. So the problem is that there's not a lot of incentive for building a secure cell phone service, secure mobile device. Like a lot of companies have tried it, but they all failed because people don't want to pay for it. People want to give their, their data in order to get better search results. I'll give you a simple example. Uh, when you're on Google and you type out something, people want to see the results that they want. Uh, on the Facebook, they want to see the ads that they want. So they encourage companies to do that. They say we want privacy, but they don't want. They will be sharing pictures on Instagram and sharing all, everything on Facebook. Uh, Facebook doesn't force you to share anything. So we do share. So if they want to do that, there's not a lot of business case for them to do it. So I don't think they can, but if, if I was like, you know, if I'm thinking, okay, what can they do? Like decoupling is one thing. Like, you know, you may be able to use Apple operating system on a different hardware, uh, like a Hackintosh, but for cell phones, that would be okay. a good start uh, where people can buy their own hardware and then can install their own software on top. I think that would be a good start because right now I'm personally a fan of Apple operating system. So, but I don't like their hardware. So, but I don't know any other option. Hmm. So that's one option. Second option is there could be like two versions where like one is like, uh, don't sell my data. And second should be sell by data. And they should have a different price where people who are okay with being sold, they can just opt for it, but then not another option there. So yeah, that would be good. So second thing is open sourcing their software, right? Like, so we can look into, because we had like NSO hacks and a lot of hacks. And frankly, as a cell phone provider, we don't have visibility into what's going on and uh, how to prevent those. Like I message hacks, absolutely we cannot do anything. Uh, because we have absolutely no zero access to whatever they do. And then Apple is also notorious with, um, not just Apple, but I think Samsung is also where they have something called Apple package, which a carrier has to abide by. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't know that. So you have to actually make a commit and get through Apple process to ensure that you abide by their rules. So you have to bend over and, and abide to their rules. And that's why you get like visual voicemail, eSIM card, iMessage, uh, FaceTime. So if you don't pay them up, they will just disable those services and your carrier will be basically, your customer base will get hurt. So what I'm saying is that, um, unfortunately, carriers do not have an option to negotiate with Apple. So if Apple says tomorrow, AT&T, I'm not offering you a cell phone service tomorrow, you will not be able to carry my devices. I believe stock of AT&T may go down by 20, 30%. So Apple actually dictates how you use their devices, how you resell the devices. Like you cannot even buy a device and resell a device without their permission. So you have to pay them every year and make a commit to them so they can allow your clients to uh, use their features like iMessage, FaceTime. So not every carrier have access to that. Hmm. So if you don't abide to them, they will basically block access to these features and then you lose your customer base. So companies have to abide to whatever Apple says. Apple have the biggest monopoly in this space. Well, I guess then it comes down to who do you, who do you trust, right? Because honestly, I would, I would. It's a tough call, but I would certainly, in this case, I would trust Apple more than I would trust my cell phone provider in terms of having control over uh, some of these things. Because at least Apple's in a position where most of their money is made off of hardware. So I think just from a even if you don't believe it from an altruistic standpoint, just from a follow the money standpoint. They're in a whole different space than 
than Google, let's say. And even even our cell phone carriers, AT&T, Verizon, and, and others, even though we're paying them good money, they still turn around and monetize our data. Um, anyway, so it, it's a tough call. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Let me ask you a specific question. So this came up recently in another podcast I did, but uh, some of the older cell phone standards, like in particular 2G, uh, really old yeah. going back. In fact, it's, you know, yeah. in the United States, you can't even find it really anymore, or you shouldn't be able yeah. to. It's got really bad security. And yet our devices, even though in most places it's not needed, still support it because you could, you know, get in some rural area or, or some yeah. other areas of the world where it's still, you know, more common. So they want to support it for maximum compatibility. Yeah. You know, what sort of dangers does connecting to this really poor, secure standard present and how might we mitigate these risks today? I know that Android recently and Android 12 says they're going to have a kill switch for that, uh, but Apple has yet to do so. Is there anything else that we could do to protect ourselves from this? Uh, yeah. So actually, killers can um, have some better flexibility there. They can actually uh, mitigate it. So like AT&T and Ryzen of the world, they can actually see that if the connection is through 2G, you can just cancel the connection, not transfer any data. While it kills one side, so carriers can do a lot of stuff on that. And they can introduce this service. The problem with the with 2G and 3G is that you can actually emulate or like uh, simulate, like sorry, environment where your phone will drop down to 2G. Mm-hmm. So you can have a signal jammer, which will basically, the signal jammer will force signals to stop and the carrier will keep on dropping. The telephone will keep on dropping. And when you get to 2G, you, it's called like an MZ, MZ catcher or stinger device. Um, and uh, you can snooze through all the conversation. That's how uh, this all conversation get tapped and everything. Because your calls go through. So a person may not even know that he's on 2G. But yeah, that's, that's how majority of traffic get uh, uh, eavesdropped. And your device should tell you, right? I mean, have they Correct. it does tell you. Okay. Yeah, it does tell you 2G. But like you, you're on a phone, right? So sure. you are basically uh, the phone in your hand it, and you're yeah. listening. Yeah, and then a lot of people don't notice it, right? Like how many right. people would notice the difference between 5G and 2G? Right. So when you say that the ca- the carriers can block it, if I'm roaming though, I mean, there's my it's my it's really up to my phone to decide what to connect to, right? My my carrier at that point, I'm on some other carrier, so I'm on someone else's cell network potentially, or a fake cell network if it's a Stingray. That's yeah. I, my carrier can't stop my phone from connecting to that, can it? It can, it can. So we, we do that too, right? So when we uh, we discover, like, you know, we don't even allow 3G. So if something is happening on your phone and we detect that, oh, you're in San Francisco, there's no 3G network there. While you connect to that, you can you can just block it. Carriers can block it. Okay. I, I'm curious. So how, how does that work? So is there... Is there a port? Is it because of the like the radio? Like, I, a lot of people don't understand that your cell phone actually has at least two computers in it. There's the main one that yeah. runs all your apps or whatever, and then there's actually a separate system on a chip usually yeah. that handles the radio stuff. Are, is you're saying the carrier basically controls the software that runs on that chip? No, it's about communication, right? Whenever you get a communication, you get like what kind of connection it is. Is it 4G, 5G? Which area is being initiated from? So based on that, you can actually detect. You know, like uh, if this is there a stinger device, right? But if so, I let's let's say I'm in a foreign country where AT and T doesn't even have cell towers, and all that's available yeah. there is two G. You're saying that even while I'm in a foreign country, and the only thing available to me is a two G signal, that AT and T can somehow prevent me from connecting to a two G tower in a foreign country. That's correct. Oh, I didn't know that was possible. Interesting. Yeah, that's possible because the way when you connect to a tower, right? You, you get a lot of information from the t- tower, how far the tower, what the signal strength, and everything. So based on that, you can actually make a decision that either to connect or not connect. And you can make it like, okay, 2G, it may, it may actually genuinely be 2G. I don't know any part of the world where we have 2G still, but you can actually detect if this is a safe tower or not. All right, so, you know, many apps, you know, vendors and web services are asking for or even requiring that you give them a valid cell phone number. This is kind of something you alluded to earlier that everybody, that's like, it's a, it's a hot, it's a hot topic or it's a hot ID yeah. that people want to get their hands on. Yeah. You know, some of them will, will claim that they are doing this for security. Like Facebook famously required you to give a phone number for two-factor authentication. And then they turned yeah. around and used that for marketing. Um, yeah. So when someone asks me for my cell phone number, I, I try not to give it if at all possible, but in some cases, like you don't have a choice. Like you'll go to a restaurant. It's like, well, we don't have these little, we don't have those little pagers anymore. If you want me to let you know when your table's ready, I need a phone number. Yes. Um, so uh, maybe this kind of blends to my next question. Is there a way it, it, like with email addresses, I can create 
hundreds of email addresses if I wanted to and give yeah. out give them out as yeah. I see fit. But I've got one cell phone number. Short of getting like a whole separate burner phone, is there a way today to get like a second spam number that I can give out in cases like that where I want to and not give out my main number? Yeah, we looked into that option, frankly, building our system um, into our system too. And it was complicated, but I, but for people, general people, they can use like burner apps. Like, you know, you can go on uh, App Store or Google Play Store and you can find like a temporary number. You can find something like that. The only problem with those uh, apps is that a lot of those numbers do not work for 2FA. So, uh, so if, if a message is sent to that number, uh, it may not work. That's a challenge. Meaning it doesn't so, work for text messages at all, or for some reason it only doesn't work for 2FA? It generally does not work for 2FA, generally. But it will work for text messages? It would work. So if someone is texting you like from their phone, it will work. Huh. But like a lot of services like Twilio or like, you know, uh, similar time, they may start blocking the number because it's a, it's a kind of a technical glitch there. Huh. They don't, and companies generally believe that these numbers are fake, so they don't send messages to these numbers. Because you can know if this is a burner number or not. Mm. And so they don't allow using burner numbers for two-factor authentication, basically, is what you're saying. That's correct. Yeah. So okay, yeah, I can sort of see that because I guess maybe you could try to get away with. Uh, okay, that's a shame, but okay. So I know a lot of phones now, like Apple iPhones, now actually support dual SIM. So yeah. would that be maybe a way that I could get like a second number? Yeah. How would that work? Yeah, you can buy a number from like any cheap service, right? Like, you know, whatever the cheapest plan you can get rid of. And I think there are companies which offer like like an unlimited, like a text-only plan for like $50 per year or something. You can get it from them and then just use it for SMS and those calls, like Craigslist and turn and keep it off. I have a number too that I keep it off most of the time. And I only turn on if I have to give my number to someone. Like I've never done this before, but I know it's possible. So if I've got like, I don't know if you know specifically, but let's say I've got an iPhone or an Android phone. How does one phone work for two different numbers? How do you, how do you configure and like on a logistical basis? Like, how does that work? I get a phone call coming in. How do I know what number it's going to, or how do it I will place- show it to you? It will show it to you that uh, you can, you can set up a line. Like one could be personal and one could be business line. So whenever someone calls, it'll show up. Is it coming to a business line? It'll come into hmm. a private line. Similarly, when you're texting, it will give you an option. And similarly, when you're calling, it will give you an option of, uh, do you want to call from personal line or business line? So you can set it up in a way that any number who called you that on that number, you'll be able to reply to the from same number. So you don't have to confuse between both of them. Okay. So that's pretty easy. Like it's pretty convenient. It's actually very good. So that's the best option. What does that cost? If I you said fifty bucks for a text only, is this sort of like going to the down to the corner store or whatever, getting a prepaid SIM kind of a thing, and I can just do this with my phone and just find whatever's cheap. Uh, that's correct. So a lot of companies that you go in store, they will not offer you uh, eSIM. Uh, they will mm. offer you a regular SIM card. Uh, because again, it's the, it's the thing, right? Like, you know, where Apple eSIM is also Apple feature. Uh, oh, that's Apple allow only. Yeah, Apple only, right? Like it's basically not every company have access to that. Okay. It's carrier plus Apple. So uh, small carriers that you mentioned, which are MVNOs, they normally don't get access to that feature because it's a, uh, like they don't want eSIM customers to go to them. Hmm. Basically, this will actually destroy a lot of stores too, where people will just be able to buy online, no shipping, just scan the QR code and they're done. Hmm. So yeah, so you can go to a store, you can you can find online. There are a lot of companies who will offer it for for like less than hundred dollar per year for a spare number. Okay, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to look into that for sure. One of the common attack techniques, uh, and this is something that you, I know that your service particularly addresses, is to clone somebody else's phone. And and this yeah. is the case where someone else does a SIM swap or somehow manages to make their phone your phone. Tell us a little bit about how that works. Like how, how does how does that happen behind the scenes? What what allows them to do that? And then what would that allow a bad guy to do? And then as a follow-up, how worried should like the average person be about that kind of attack? Is this something that's usually a targeted attack? Like the average person on the street is, this is not going to happen to them regardless of it is how would somebody protect themselves against that? What are the easiest things that people can do to try to prevent that from happening? So first of all, the way it works is like, you know, someone you, I want to, I want to take over your number. I just find out your number through online search and which is very easy to find. And what happened is the next thing I believe that you are a right target what I can do is I can actually just look into, uh, there are a lot of services on the dark web which will do it for you. You pay them like $200, $100, and they will sims up you, your number. And they pretend that, oh, Kerry walked into a store and he 
um, showed me his ID while he didn't do anything, but like that's how it works. Uh, so the new person have access to that, and what they do is they normally have your email address already, and they go on Google, uh, do a password reset, Hotmail, go to your bank account. If you wanna, if you have like a exchange account, they'll try to get into your crypto or like your bank account, take away all your money, and then try to get into uh, you know whatever they can get. This is software that runs, right? Um, and it does everything for you within minutes. And then download all your personal information, Facebook, Twitter, and everything, whatever they can, and then try to blackmail you. So it happens very, very often. Obviously, in my industry, it happens a lot because we deal with VIPs and we reach for important people. So it can happen to a person on the street. Absolutely, it can. It's just that the risk profile is much lower. Like even if it happens, they may not lose a lot of money. And that's mm-hmm. what people mostly care about. Right. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much what it is. So again, as far as how, so what they do is they would, they would, they need to somehow convince my carrier that they are me and like, maybe they'll say, Hey, I lost my phone or I dropped it in the water or whatever. I need to get a new SIM card. And somehow, you know, they go into a, do they have to go to a store physically to do this? No, no. Normally everything is on the phone and and their website online, which will do it for you. You just pay them. That you're talking about the carrier. Uh, I'm talking about dark web. You go on dark web, you find someone, there are services which offer the service. So if they will say, if you want to sim swap someone, $200. If you want to get someone call log, it's $500. You want some find, some, find someone location, $100. Hmm. So you don't have to, so people don't have to do go through this. Yes, they have to convince the carrier and everything, but it's just cheaper online. So the people that they're paying to do this, these are the people that are doing probably social engineering? to No, try- they work in the stores. <laughs> They're employees. Nice. Okay. So well, they that, get that... paid like $8, $9 an hour. So now they're getting paid $200. So they do like 10, 20 per, per week and they make four, $5,000. Oh, geez. Okay. Oh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Sure. Okay. Well, let's, let's even get seedier now. So there are, there are several companies that market software to track other people's cell phones. Uh, you yeah. know, ostensibly, this is usually marketed to parents who want to monitor their, monitor their kids, either you know, follow their location or you know, see what they're doing on their phones. Uh, but obviously, in practice, this could be used for anybody, right? I mean, it could be used as stalkerware, you know, either by abusive significant others or maybe your bitter ex or somebody. So, is there a legitimate market for this? I mean, is this a legitimate? thing that people should be able to make and sell as a product or or do, or do you think this should be banned if i'm not talking about models here in like it's very difficult to define models i'll give you a simple example my kid uh i want to keep a tab on my kid because i want to make sure that he's okay uh should i know where he is or not uh, you know my wife and i can track each other if i'm in trouble you know like why not you know but obviously for every every part of it is also abuse part that you mentioned People abuse this power. Um, like, you know, sometimes we are lost and we just share, hey, I'm here. Can you just share a location on WhatsApp? And or you share your map. Okay, how long will it take me to get to you? So every tool can have abuse, uh, abuses. So I think uh, any no person in the world should be tracked without their permission and their consent. Let's put it this way. Okay. So, yeah, I think, and I think that probably is the, the compromise here is that if these things are allowed to exist, they should require the consent of the person being tracked. That's correct. And as long as they know, it's fine, right? Like, why not? You know, but again, if you want to keep a track on someone, uh, but then also if you look at controlling like terrorism or controlling, uh, you know, like some people who are dangerous, should the government track them or not? It's, it's become a very, very difficult talk on would the government abuse their power who should they be tracking? Like, who had the moral authority to do something? Who had the moral? Who is it? So this all become very, very complicated. But I just think that any person, uh, should, no person should be able to track without their permission. All right. Well, that leads actually directly into the next question, and that is the next level deeper on this is, yeah, there are companies like the NSO Group or Celebrite who market spyware or hacking tools to intelligence and law enforcement agencies. And, you know, they claim to vet their clients, you know, they, they only sell to quote unquote, the good guys. And, and, you know, and they supposedly, to some extent, well, actually, though, I think the way NSO group works is we will only sell it to people, uh, you know, this Pegasus spyware, we will sell it to you if we vet you and say that you're a good guy. And then if we catch you using this for a, a purpose that is not what we said 
you would be allowed to use it for. Like, you're not supposed to use it on journalists and dissidents. You're supposed to use it against, you know, suspected terrorists and whatever. Then we we reserve the right to revoke your license and, and take our software away from you. But this isn't a government. This isn't a you know, CIA or NSA. This is a private company creating really powerful spying software and then selling it to whoever wants to pay the money for this. And they have NSO group is in the news a lot lately because they have been caught despite all of their protestations. Basically, they've gotten caught selling it to not so good guys and using it to track not so bad people. So to your point a minute ago, I mean, none of that software from a private company would obviously be notifying the person that they're being tracked. So this would be completely unaware. And yet it's not a government doing it. It's it's a private company doing it. So how do you feel about that? Where, 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 you know, should that be allowed? But certainly, I believe uh, I like we basically are totally against NSO groups and Celebrate, uh, which are the two brand names, but there are hundreds of groups like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's very easy to set up these groups and everything. Because uh, you don't know who the NSO, so NSO and Celebrate may be the same person. There may be like a lot of like gazillion kind of uh, shell corporations behind each other. They are underoperating. That's where the first question of Apple comes, uh, where Apple does not tell you if someone is being tracked. So they do their own security, but independently, you cannot confirm if their security is good, as they say. They don't open their software to anyone. There are no third-party audits, so you have to believe them. So it's actually, and, and again, some country freedom fighter is another country terrorist. Definitions of like, you know, what's right and what's wrong changes from group to group. You know, when two soldiers go on the, on the war, both are fighting for the right cause. They believe they're fighting for the right cause. So what if, you know, like USA is basically spying on their allies or like allies are spying on us. So it all depends. It's very, very complicated. And uh, I think this should be illegal, period. But then the question is that how do you track terrorists? If there's actually a terrorism attack, how do you track them? So this, again, becomes very, very, very tricky, but ultimately, this should be illegal. Well, it is. It is tricky. And I I do understand the need for intelligence agencies and law enforcement to do that sort of spying. But I think where things get really, I, th- I think where we cross the line is mass surveillance versus targeted surveillance. And when, in the old days, if the, a spy agency or, an, or law enforcement agency wanted to had somebody that they suspected, had good reason to suspect somebody was doing no good, then they could pull out all the stops, you know, they could they could put people on it, they could they could follow them, they could do stakeouts, they could actually have spies do things to their phones. Whereas when it's just some third party company says, Yeah, I can click a button and do anybody on the planet. In fact, I could do a million people on the planet. I, I think I think that I think that's where things break down. And I think it used to be, you know, targeted, warrant based Surveillance is is one thing, and I think it needs to be allowed for obvious reasons. It, it's when it becomes something that anybody can do for a hundred bucks or uh, indiscriminately. I, I think is where maybe things go off the rails. What, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Uh, absolutely, I, I agree with you. Right again, this is all because um, mass surveillance versus like individual surveillance. Because we have people who have been targeted by the government for their own personal vendetta or something right yeah you know like like even in us we have like a lot of bipolarism in terms of polarity between both parties right like we have one party accusing other one of terrorism and domestic terror and all those kind of things so is it like you know democrats will say oh i want to i want to track republicans because they're not in power republicans can do the same for democrats it becomes a very tricky stroke ultimately it should not be allowed and you're right, like subpoenas and all those things are okay. But now it's like, you know, uh, they have a term called legal interception, which means that they can actually get into anything that any party uh, in the U.S. has to do. And the problem is that if you get a subpoena, you can't even inform the person that that you're being subpoenaed. So it's become very, very tricky. And uh, again, these are the boundaries that I, I believe that we just have to adhere to the law, whatever the law is. And I may have reservation against the law, like I can argue the law is right or wrong, but every government should adhere to the law and they should not use their power. They should not abuse their power. Well, you're right. And there's a lot of weird nuances to this and it is a tricky subject. But I mean, I think another thing that we need to, 
I really wish what we would be doing uh, with our law enforcement and intelligence agencies is saying that the default is going to be security because you can't create a back door that only a good guy can go through. So any any privileged access you manage to get for yourself could be abused by someone else. Let's say you think you're the good guy. Let's say you are. Let's just stipulate that, okay, you're a good guy. But if that vulnerability exists, if you have put a back door in something, if you have weakened the software, if you've somehow put in a bypass for authentication or something that you can use, then anybody else can use that too, including the quote unquote bad guys. So I kind of wish that what we would do by default is instead of like hoarding zero days and hoarding these vulnerabilities to use against others, when that means that someone else could use it against us, that the the default is we try to be as secure as possible. And then in those, in those cases where somebody is we believe strongly that someone is doing something bad or about to do something bad. Then we pull out all the stops and we put, you know, and we do what we used to do before we had cell phones and we use human intelligence. Uh, I think that's correct, right? Like uh, ultimately every power, every agency wants the maximum power, right? No agency will say, I want to give the, on the power. They will say, okay, you know why? We are not allowed to use the same tool that terrorists have. And uh, what I agree with you is that, you know, this, there's actually a bigger market for zero days vulnerabilities. And the problem with that is because people are willing to pay more for these things. And I'll cover to on the second part, which is like, you know, how to protect yourself, which will come afterwards. But again, like, you know, we don't have any, we don't have to argue that it should be illegal and strict measures should be uh, taken before spying on someone. There's no two opinions on that. Uh, the only challenge is that these things are so lucrative, so lucrative that come, like Saudi Arabia basically abused their power. Mm-hmm. Israel abuses their power, you know, America does abuse their power too. And every country in the world, every person on the top abuses their power. And they believe this is for, like, even this covert monitoring and everything, the government have been, I believe government have been far ahead of what their mandate was. Mm. And like, and here in Canada, I think they said they tracked like 90%, 95% of the people, cell phones, which was, and no one knew about that. Wait, who's, who's they? Uh, by government. The government was tracking 90-95% of the uh, Canadians. Tracking in what way? Location. Hmm. For the last three, I think three, six months. I think there was a report on that where Canadian government is tracking. Like Since COVID, I think they're tracking every Canadian uh, oh, I see. location. Oh, under the auspices of we want to see where the pandemic is spreading. That's correct. So hmm. now, do you think the government would basically give up on that? <laughs> Right. Right. Like now this is illegal, right? Like no one knew about it. And then they, I think it's 90% of the Canadians are being tracked. Again, let's step back from the brink a little bit. <laughs> this, these are the things we're talking about here at this level are very rare. This is not something other than the mass surveillance, maybe just referred to in terms of, you know, that, that is certainly a problem. But in terms of this really highly targeted celebrate you know, NSO group stuff, that tends to be very rare. But Nevertheless, when we're talking about any of this stalkerware, I mean, we talked about the nanny stuff where the, you know, I'm tracking my kids or I could also track my ex-wife. If I'm worried about this in any way, if I, if I think, if I have reason to believe that somebody might be trying to install or has installed stalkerware of some sort of spyware on my device, first of all, is there any way, definitive way for me to tell if that's the case? And second, whether or not I, that's the case, is there something I could do to cleanse it? Like, let's say I can't prove that it's there, but I can do something that would make sh- that it would definitely get rid of it if it is there. What, what kind of things might I do if I'm at all worried about this scenario? So there's another thing called AirTag too, right? People are not putting AirTag sure, in yeah. people, people backpacks and cars, and now they're able to track them, right? Like how you, how you like it's almost right. like it doesn't even, people you don't even, can't even notice if the, if the AirTag taken under your car, you know? Right. Super yeah. simple to do. Totally legal. So anyways, so, easy, so there are two ways, right? One is on the hardware side or second on the network side. Okay. Uh, so on the hardware side, you can, if you have a phone, you can basically just format it completely. That's the easiest way to do it. And how does one do that? How does somebody reformat their phone? Uh, so there's settings, like, you know, when you go iPhone, you can, there's an option to do a complete reset. Okay. Like, like you're getting ready to sell it. You're talking about that. Kind yeah, of that's reset. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you have to do. And okay. that basically cleaned up a lot of things. A lot of things. You didn't say everything. <laughs> no, because there's something that basically can get tracked. Like, you know, now there's an option where there's a software where even you turn off your phone, it doesn't turn it off. So it will show that phone has been turned off. It's not turned off. That's the one, if I, if I think what you're, there's someone who's come up with a thing that has a fake 
power off screen. So it, it looks like a power off screen. You look like, it, but it, it's it's intercepted the actual power off signal. So your phone is not actually off. And not just it's off, it also, also transmits data and mm. also transmits like, you know, your picture and audio calls, everything is being transferred at that time. Right. So that, that's another spyware variant. Um, yeah. But you're, you're saying that a full phone reset will handle getting rid of a lot of that sort of spyware. Correct. Most of them, yeah. In fact, I think a lot of the, a lot of the, in fact, even some of the NSO stuff, I think a lot of the hacks, the, the zero click hacks, or even some of the one click hacks that they came up with were only resident in memory. Like if, if you just powered your phone down and powered back up, a lot of times those, that spyware was flushed, correct? That's correct. Right. And also there's something called network reset, which is pretty clean thing to do. You can do it as much as possible. It doesn't do anything to you, your phone, just do a network reset that cleans up a lot of your Wi-Fi and other settings too. But yeah, doing doing this is much easier. Like, you know, if you can format your, if you have the luxury and you can do that once a year or every six months, that's the best part. Hmm. And don't buy hardware devices used. Mm-hmm. Uh, like just buy them brand new yeah. from a store. And that's about it. And then third part is like, you know, if you trust it, if you don't trust anyone, don't get their phone. So if someone gives you a phone, don't get it. Right. So, so what about detecting? So we've talked about trying to cleanse it if we if we think that there is something there. Is there a way to detect it, or is it the there safest? Are. Okay, how there would you do that? So there are a couple of companies which basically can do it for you. They have an app that you can install, and they'll tell you if this your phone. The problem is those those apps are super 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 expensive. How expensive are we talking? Like two thousand dollars per year. Mm, oh, per it's a subscription. Per subscription, yeah. So they will track your thing. Two thousand dollars. I know of an app that every time you connect your phone, you have to. Because we deal with a lot of like high-profile people, so they have an app where you, whenever you charge, it just basically tells you if your phone has been compromised or not, or what data has left the phone without your permission. Huh. Because you have to understand that there are adopters which can actually go into your phone and basically act like they have a memory card and they can actually take a lot of data from your phone. So someone, you may go to a friend's house and he may give you an adopter, but it's actually a tracking device that extracts data from your phone. Hmm. Yeah. So that happens too. So there are cables which actually do that as well. Yeah, so it's yeah. very difficult, but other ways, like, you know, just keep your own iPhone charger or Android charger yourself. So don't use anyone else's charger. Right. Yeah. In fact, one of the things I like to uh, recommend every year in my little, you know, stocking stuffer guide is to get those little, I like to call them USB condoms is what they, is what they used to call yeah. them back in the day. Uh, now they've got better names, data blockers or something like that, where yeah. it's charge only and it doesn't allow data to flow. So, uh, yeah. 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 And then because the people want that, right? Like it's convenient. They just want data as well as just other you know, data and charging the same cable. And also like used to a like hardware keys, such a small thing to use, but I think probably 0.1% of people use. Hardware keys, you're talking like a YubiKey. Yeah, YubiKey, hardware key. Yeah. And also like if you they, if they can't even afford like a $35 key, they can at least use an app, which is free, like Authenticator or Authy or like the Google Authenticator or there are gazillion apps like that. Right. So in this case, we're talking about, this is this is more about account access where you're using a, this yeah. is your multi-factor authentication options. Yeah. 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 Right, right. So not, not so much the spyware on your phone. No, protection. because, no, because it's like, there are like spyware every day. You know, it all depends on, you have to keep your risk profile low. And obviously we do a lot of stuff that average consumers cannot do because expensive and other thing, but that's what they can do. Like in the simple steps, try to format your phone every time. Don't buy like a, a random phone from something. That's, that's what they can do at least. Well, this is something I'm sure you must have dealt with. This is, and this has always troubled me. So when I, if I travel, and I, I'm a person who loves to travel, um, or th- th- this could happen without traveling. It could just be a police officer. If I get pulled over, or if I go to, if I'm going through a border, and a, and a border agent asks me to give give them my device, uh, it could be my phone, it could be my laptop, it could be my iPad. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to ask you the legal questions because I know you're not a lawyer, mm-hmm. but. <laughs> they can, let, let's say if they take your phone and then take it into a back room and then they bring it back to you, there are things they could have done to that phone in the back room. Yeah. So you've got high profile people. What do you tell them to do with their devices when they travel, for example, or if they get pulled over by a cop and are need to surrender their device? Is there anything that, what do you, what do you, what advice do you give them in situations like that? Well, I just say, follow the law. That's all. And I don't know what the law is in every jurisdiction. I live in US, I can like, you know, what are the laws for traffic better, but just follow the law. Your cell phone is not secure, right? So if you have anything on the phone, 
you know, be prepared that will be exposed to someone, either to government agency or to a criminal today or tomorrow. So the, the advice is if you've got something that secret, don't keep it on your, on your devices. That's correct. That's correct. Okay. That makes it really difficult today, especially. Um, Again, I think, but I said like follow the law. That's all I can say. Well, for example, one of the things I, I've, I've, I think, I think LastPass may have this, maybe it's one password. They've got a, a, a travel mode where you can, you can say, I'm going to travel mode. And what that will do is that will, rem- you, you like categorize your passwords and you can say, these are the ones I want with me when I travel and the, and the rest of them I don't. So like when you go into travel mode, like it removes a lot of data from your device while you're traveling so that if it does come in the wrong hands, there's lim- it's, it's limited to what they can get. And when you come back, you come out of travel mode and then it refreshes and fills that data, your vault back in with the rest of the stuff. For example, do you know of any other sort of kind of tips and tricks like that, that you might, uh, you might do or limit, like there's, there's another thing with your phone where I think on an iPhone, I forget, I'm going to get this wrong, but there's, I think if you hit your power button five times fast, it goes into a mode that requires a pin code. Because some people believe, and the, the law hasn't quite come down on this, certainly not everywhere, but some in the U.S., it, 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 they were kind of seem to be leaning toward compelling you to give me a passcode is not, I can't compel you to give me a passcode, but I can compel you to put your fingerprint on it or to open it with your face ID. Where, so that if you hit the button five times fast, that disables the biometric forcing the pin code, which should mean that you don't have to give that up, for example. So these are just, I'm just rattling off some things that off the top of my head that I thought about in situations like this. Are there any other tips and tricks along these lines that you might be able to provide? I would just say that, hey guys, uh, you know, like follow the law. Again, that's my simple tip and trick. Uh, frankly, if someone has to make a case against you, they'll make a case against you regardless. And, uh, you know, cell phone is, is, is not secure. So these are all the things I can do. Other than that, I don't know anything. Okay. In your experience, which of the devices out there today are more secure? Uh, in particular, iPhone versus Android. Uh, but then, if you want to go a little further, if you want to do something like something third party, like you know Lineage OS or Graphene OS, you know for those with Android devices, uh, or there's whole other devices like the you know Purism has a Librem Five, and there's a Pine Phone. I think you actually may have referenced these earlier in the show, um, with but not by name. What? Between the regular the regular two, iPhone and Android, if you're going to pick one, what would you pick? And then if you wanted to kick it up a notch, what would you go with? So I think that um, I, I use iPhone personally. Okay. Um, again, um, it's not a secure one, but I've done things that make it more secure. And on Android, luckily, if you're Android, you have a lot of options. You can go for like graphene operating system. You can use Copperhead. Uh, you can have like, you know, multiple devices option, crypto data. 10, 20 manufacturers you can use. You, you can use. So in Android, you can actually be as secure as you want. You can de-Google your phone, absolutely whatever you can. So average consumer, they just want something off the shelf. So frankly, they are fine with anything they buy. The only thing is like, don't install like funny things on your phone. Like and, what? Like what's a funny thing? Links. A funny thing is random apps, right? Like, you know, you don't know about the app and you get, uh, oh, uh, click here to make $10,000. You know, <laughs> sure. you know work that's from ob- home. That's, that's obviously suspicious. Yeah. Or don't put, oh, you, you got a USPS package, click here. You know, oh, you want a gift card. Can you download this app or not? These are like straight away scams. So you have to just avoid them. So, okay. So that actually leads into the next question. So how good are Apple and Google at vetting the apps that make, because that's part of what they're, that's part of what they're doing for us, right? I mean, it, with Google in particular, you've got third-party app stores, but Google's telling you, hey, but if you use Google Play, we have vetted these apps and, and we have made sure that they're not these scam apps that you're talking about. But obviously, you know, some do slip through the cracks. So what's your take on how well Apple and Google vet the apps that are, that are in their official stores? And then what does happen if, if uh, some rogue app does slip through the cracks? What, are, what, what happens then? Nothing happened, right? They will apologize probably. Similar to a cell phone carrier, if your cell phone get compromised, they'll say, I'm sorry for the inconvenience cost, even though you lost everything you had in your life. But we are sorry, and we apologize for any inconvenience cost. So that's what happened with Apple too. They do get a through a crack and a very easy way to do it. And cryptocurrency specifically has been very, very target of where people have lost their entire life savings because they get tricked into a new app. 
that wasn't actually app. So you may type XYZ app wallet and it turned out to be a copy of XYZ wallet because they did a better SEO. Um, so yeah, they do. They get, I think people have laid like classic YouTube against them too because not just that, but they're running ads with their benefit. They're profiting from that ads and people are basically falling for those apps. So Google and Play and app and Apple Store specifically say that we're not responsible for anything. So anything you download, I recommend that you should go to website first and then from website, you go to the link and, and look at the reviews. Is this the right app? Because one of the tricks that companies, people use is that they will buy like an old app that no one is using and then rename the name, mm, rename, yeah. rename it. And so you go and you say, oh, wait, this app has like 2000 reviews. So this is the right one, but it's not the right one. And they do better SEO. So it appears on, uh, on top of the result and or run ads and that's how they get to you. In your experience, how how often does that actually happen? How how much of those scam apps get through the Apple and Google vet, vetting process versus through third party stores, particularly on Android? Is it is it really that common? That I mean, how how good is their vetting? Well, it's pretty good, right? I'm not saying it's like bad. It's pretty good, um, but like you know, things slip through the crack. Like it's basically, I'm I'm more concerned about the impact of that impact of that rather than like, you know, how often. So I don't have a statics around like, you know, 20 million apps or, uh, or better than one app went through. But what I care about is one went app through, went through and someone lost their entire life saving. So I don't have the data. And I don't say Apple actually makes it publicly that how many people have claimed, how many apps have they turned down. Uh, but certainly a fair number of my friends who run wallet companies or in crypto, they do complain that the fake apps exist and people fall for them. Okay, circling back real quick to the last question, you kind of mentioned offhand that you have an iPhone and you've protected your iPhone. And so the, what have you done personally? What, what have you done to your iPhone to protect it? So I don't know. I download a lot of apps on the phone. I have specifically trusted apps. That's one, one thing I do. I do look into a lot of, um, you know, traffic. So like data, the leaves, so you have data app that tracks where the data leaves. So I know if there's any app, funny app happening. I reset my phone from time to time. And uh, I have some apps which are super expensive and uh, they do tell me if some funny business is going on. And then I, I don't use cables, random cables and everything. So these are all the things I do. Uh, and then obviously I use my own cell phone service, which is obviously secure. So that's, <laughs> that's another benefit to that. So a combination of all those makes me pretty sleep better at night. <laughs> All right. Well, after this, we might we may all have a little trouble sleeping at night. All right, <laughs> so last question before we go, and that is, what, what parting advice do you have for people? Any other tips and tricks you might recommend? And then maybe tell us a little bit about what your service exactly offers. Sure. So tips and tricks are pretty simple, right? I told you about like keep phone and uh, whatever you believe should not be leaked, don't keep on your phone. Because SMS are much riskier. So if you send SMS, it's very easy to intercept SMS as of today too. Otherwise, like, you know, don't give out your telephone number to random people. For security mm. part, you should basically get a post box address. So every mail goes there. Mm. Uh, don't start putting your address randomly everywhere. Other than that, use like two-factor authentication on everything. And not just like SMS-based, but mostly yeah. using like an app-based or hardware right. keys possible. And that should be everywhere. And frankly, those, these things do not even cost money. Okay. And then what does your company offer that might be that the audience might be interested in hearing about? So we don't offer services to general clients normally. We actually, as I said, VIP clients, we call them, you know, important people in terms of they have some data to protect. So if you offer a cell phone plan, like think about Verizon, but secure. Uh, our pitch is like, you will never get SIM slapped, which is, uh, that's our guarantee. If something goes wrong, we have an insurance to cover you up. But more than that, what we also have is that we actually have a SIM slap protection. And we don't sell you data. So we don't make money by selling you out. As when you sign a contract with any carriers, it includes that they will sell you out. And that's how they make money. We don't do that. So that's our value proposition. For even like super VIP clients, you have different service, but like that tells you someone is tracking you, someone is trying to find your location, or DDoS attacks and all kinds of security protection. But again, that's invite only, so we can't offer it to public. I see. Okay, well... <laughs> Uh, I see this was very eye-opening and a little depressing, but uh, good to talk about because it's, you know, you got it's good that we understand what, at least what some of the possible problems could be. And thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us all about it. Uh, thanks, Katie, for having me on the show. Again, these things are like, this is, these are realities, right? Like we can't just say that. 
uh, oh, these things do not exist, right? Like regardless if you close your eyes or not, these things exist. So better to be aware and take care of it. Thanks again to Asif for coming on the show. Again, everybody, uh, you know, just keep in mind that a lot of what we're talking about here today uh, is for a different type of clientele than you're probably my average listener. But I still thought it was really interesting to hear. And uh, so anyway, uh, he mentioned a couple of things I want to circle back on. He talked about a burner app. Uh, there are some interesting ways to get yourself a second or third or fourth phone number because your phone number today really is uh, you know, a crucial identifier for a lot of people. And a lot of companies are trying to snap that up. It's almost better than a social security number in some ways. Uh, people don't change their number anymore. You can port that number to you know any carrier you go to these days. So a lot of people keep their number for life because they don't want to tell everybody they got a new phone number. Unfortunately, what that means is that number now is directly associated with you and can be used to identify you in a lot of different weird ways. So there are situations where it might be nice to have a throwaway phone number. So anyway, there is an app called Burner uh, that you might look into. I may cover this in like a bonus content from my patrons or something. This is not something that we talk about a lot. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do something about an article about it or something. Um, but there are ways, and they're not fun, but there are ways to get yourself a second phone number that can be useful in situations like this. He also mentioned you know, not using unknown phone chargers and phone cables. Uh, that is true. That is a thing. Uh, I've mentioned that before here on the show. I talk about this in my best and worst gift guides a lot of times because sometimes it's a nice little stocking stuffer to get somebody a data blocker cable or a data blocker nugget so that when they're just charging their phones, they don't need data. They just want power. Uh, you could do so safely on public USB ports. The other thing I mentioned, travel mode, and that is a thing, and I looked it up. It was in 1Password has that feature. Uh, I wasn't sure when I said it during the interview uh, which service had it, but it's 1Password that has that feature. And basically, if you go into travel mode and with 1Password, you can designate certain bits of information that you want to be removed from your mobile device while traveling. It'll stay in the cloud, um, I, I guess. It'll stay accessible somehow so that when you come back and turn it off, all that information gets put back. But if for some reason you don't want your phone to get lost with this information on it, uh, or you worry about you know going through a border station where the border patrol, uh, or you know in the foreign country is somehow maybe the law enforcement there might confiscate your device and try to take the information off that device. Maybe you want to have certain stuff just not there. Just don't make it available. And one more thing that everybody can do and honestly should do: uh, SIM swapping is a thing. You're not likely to get targeted personally. That's it's a very personalized targeted attack. Someone's got to come after you in particular. So for that reason, it doesn't happen often. It's not really a mass security issue. Um, but if for any reason, if you're trading in crypto, if you've got access to a lot of money somehow, or if you're in any way famous, maybe, you know, you might be a target. But regardless, this is simple to do and everybody should do it. Contact your mobile provider and make sure you've set up a, a pin code for your account or whatever security measure they offer to prevent anybody from making changes to your account, adding lines, deleting lines, getting a new phone, getting a new SIM card, uh, any of those kind of things can be blocked with an extra layer of security. Uh, they all do it a little bit differently, but it comes down to some sort of a pin code or something uh, or, or passphrase. So talk to your cell phone provider and make sure that you've got that set up. It's easy to do. It's free. There's no reason not to do it. All right, real quick before we go. The fifth anniversary of the podcast, I've been doing this for five years, will be next week. Uh, March 7th or 8th, uh, 2017 is when I started all of this. Uh, and I'm going to be launching a really fun promotion. Uh, it's probably not going to start next week. We'll see if I can pull it together by then. But I will be giving away a bunch of stuff, you know, some books and swag and maybe some challenge coins. So stay tuned uh, for that. I will be giving more information in the coming weeks on that promotion. And I've got some great interviews coming down the pike and people are actually going to be interviewing me as well. So uh, some more funness. So uh, stay tuned for all the details on that as that happens. That will do it, everybody. Thank you again so much for tuning in. Uh, if you haven't subscribed already, now would be a great time to do so. Also, I would love to get some five-star reviews on the podcast or, or the book. I haven't had any of those come up in a while, so it's always good to have fresh ones. If you haven't done so, I would love to get some. Thank you so much, everybody. Take care. And until next week, as always, stay safe out there and don't get caught with your garbage down.